Awesome. Go ahead and nudge your neighbor and just tell him he is a chain breaker. And you guys can go ahead and grab your seat. God bless you as you're seated. And can we give a hand to our worship team for leading us this morning? Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I hope you've had a great summer week. It's been beautiful. Uh, we have the privilege, for those of you who haven't gotten to meet yet, my name is Jessica. Me and my husband, Kevin, who is right here, we are missionaries from the United States. We've come to partner with Pastors Theo and Manju here in New Zealand and the South Pacific. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's an awesome privilege. We are enjoying our second summer because we moved over here about two and a half months ago. So we came out of summer in the States. And now we're in summer in New Zealand, and I just feel the blessing and favor of God on me on a daily basis because of that. Um, also, we're feeling the blessing because my parents are in town. Uh, my mom is right here next to my husband. Um, this is Irene. My mom and dad are here. Unfortunately, my dad has a cold, so he stayed home this morning. He said, I'd rather have their sympathy than um, their disgust with his cold, so he stayed home. Um, but they're here for six weeks to travel around New Zealand. They're heading off to Queenstown this week, so you guys you'll see him see them here and there and you can give them their favorite places around New Zealand to see um, and then I'm hoping that they'll be coming back more than just now so hey I'm excited to get into the word of God with you this morning I hope that you came today expecting to hear something from the Lord because that's why we come to church we come to church to be transformed we come to church to be together as a community but ultimately we want to become more and more like Jesus and that's why we're here and that's one of the things that the word of God does in our lives is it transforms us from the inside out. I love that it says that those who find the word, they find life. I don't know about you, but I like finding life. Anyone else? And that's what I'm expecting today, and I hope you are too. So let's pray, and let's open up our hearts and invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is powerful, that it is alive, and that it cuts to the deepest parts of who we are, to reveal things inside of us, to help us live in greater levels of freedom. And so, Lord, today we each individually choose, and I just encourage you under, the, under your breath to declare this today, that we come with an open heart and we come receptive to the ministry of the Holy Spirit to hear what it is that you are saying to us, your bride, the church. We pray this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, two weeks ago, my husband shared a message about change. And as I was praying this week and asking the Lord, what do you want to speak? I really felt like the Lord put a title in my heart that goes right along with what Kevin had left off with. And the title today, as you are taking notes, which I always encourage you to do, whether it's on your phone, your iPad, or in a notebook, because we're expecting to hear from Jesus. That means we want to capture what Jesus is saying. Um, the title of the message today that I really felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me was this. It was change your habits, change your world. Change your habits, change your world. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, I want you to go to the book of Nehemiah. Now, I've read the book of Nehemiah before, but I wasn't like, oh, yes, Nehemiah, change your habits. It wasn't until I started to dig in and really meditate on Nehemiah chapter 1 that I began to see the Holy Spirit bringing out some truth that I am convinced we are all going to see into today as well. 
So, you know, Kevin talked about two weeks ago out of Joshua, how when Joshua was leading the second generation in, the second generation of Israel got to go into the promised land because they were willing to change. Whereas the first generation, there were things that were so deeply ingrained in them, being in slavery for 400 plus years, they couldn't change. They didn't want to change. And because of that, they didn't get to go into that which God had intended for them, right? Because they weren't willing to change. But the second generation was different. Now, I was thinking about just change as a whole because, of course, we're going into the new year. And when you go into the new year, you're talking about change, right? We're fasting, believing God to do a new thing in our lives, in our community as a church. But how many of you know when God does a new thing, what does that innately require? change, right? You can't have something new unless it's different from what was. And yet in our humanity, in our flesh, there's part of us that goes, oh, do we have to, right? Because we are actually wired to enjoy that which is familiar. And I wanted to read this to you. This is actually a quote from an article on the psychology of change. And it says this, it says, most of our daily activities including many of our work habits, habits, are controlled by a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. These habitual repetitive, repetitive tasks take much less mental energy to perform because they've become hardwired and we no longer have to give them much conscious thought. The way we've always done it is mentally comfortable. Listen to this, it not only feels right, it feels good. You're saying this is the psychology of it, that we are, we are wired to like things the same way. And yet, continually, when we are walking with Jesus, what does he require? Change. Because growth requires change, right? A new thing requires change. So we always have to come back and say, Holy Spirit, we are so dependent on you to help us overcome this resistance that part of us has inside when we hear the word change or when we feel the Holy Spirit start leading us toward this. As I began to meditate on Nehemiah this morning, I felt like the Lord specifically wanted me to bring up how we can change our habits in regards to facing problems. Because even with something like facing problems, we can develop habits. We can develop ways that we always face a problem. Some of these habits come from generations before us, right? We've walked in our family for years. And so what do we do? We saw our parents handle a problem a certain way. So what do we do? We innately just handle it the same way, right? Or maybe it's our social circle. We're around all of our friends and hey, they handle a problem this way. So I guess this is the way I should do it. Or maybe it's our place of work. I mean, they have hammered into us. This is how you handle problems, right? This is the protocol. And so that's become part of who we are. And this morning, I want to take us to the book of Nehemiah because I believe that in Nehemiah, we see such an amazing example biblically of how to face problems in our life. And what I'm hoping today, the reason I put that title up there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me about change your habits, change your world, is that if we can start changing some of our habits and how we deal with conflict and challenges and problems, I believe it can revolutionize some of our life and the lives of people around us. So to start off, I want to give you some context to the book of Nehemiah. We're in this journey with the children of Israel. You know, they come into the promised land. Now they've established kings. We all have probably heard of King David, King Solomon. But the children of Israel chronically turn their hearts away from God. 
And for those of you who've done some Bible study, you know as you read through the prophets, you see this, that they turn away from God. And as a result, God promised them if they did that, he would send them into exile. He would send them into captivity. And so they're continually being taken into exile, but then in exile, they'll cry out, they'll repent. And what will God do? He brings them back. And it happens cyclically all throughout the Bible. You see this. Well, we come to Nehemiah, and this has happened again, but this has been a, this has been a major upset because they've been taken over by the Babylonians, and they've been taken into captivity. Many of you will under, you'll remember the name Nebuchadnezzar, right? He takes them into captivity, and here they are. They're in captivity in Babylon. And we come to Nehemiah, and in 588, Israel's exiled to, to Babylon. But in 538, Cyrus, God raises up this secular king and uses him to bring freedom to them, to allow them to return to their homeland, to return to Jerusalem. In 516, the temple is rebuilt. And then in 446, so we're talking about 92 years after Cyrus, we come to Nehemiah. Now, some people have returned, but many have not. And there's still a large group that continue to live in Babylon. And here's Nehemiah, and we come to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're actually going to walk through all of chapter 1 today. And I want to start with the first three verses. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. It says, In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. There is great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed with fire. So here is Nehemiah. And this brother comes back to him with this group of men, and he's like, I want to hear the report, right? We don't have social media. We don't have the news. Like, I, I need to hear from people. What is going on in my place of origin, my birth? Now, he wasn't born there, but his people are from there. And he gets this report, and his brother tells them, he says, things are not going well. There's a problem. There's an issue here. Things are not going well for those who have returned. He says they are in great trouble and distress, or disgrace, excuse me. Someone say trouble. Trouble. So this word trouble, when you look at it in the Hebrew, he's actually saying that there is great evil. I mean, this is a very strong word. He's saying there is great evil. Things are extremely bad in Jerusalem right now. And not only are things evil, I mean, there's so much that is not going right, so much that is not how God intended it to be. He says it's, there's so much bad, there's so much evil, but then on top of that, he puts this other word and he says they are in great trouble and disgrace. And this word disgrace means shame. He's saying this is embarrassing. Now you got to remember, for the people of Israel, they had 500 years ago, prior to this, the greatest kingdom on the planet under David and Solomon. I mean, people were traveling to them right, to see the wisdom and the glory and the magnificence that was Israel. And Jerusalem is the city where God put his name, right? I mean, and here, the, there's been waves of refugees returning, but it's nothing like it used to be. Yes, the temple has begun to be rebuilt, but the walls are torn down, the gates are burned with fire. This is an embarrassment. I was thinking about 
just in our own lives, there are things that we have that we can look at in the natural and we can say, man, that is embarrassing. That is bad. Whether it might be in our own personal lives, whether it might be in our family, whether it might be something in our community or even in our nation, all these different arenas that we associate with, there can be places where in our lives it feels like, you know, there's been some progress, but really it is nothing compared to what I know God wants it to be. And it feels embarrassing if I was really to stop and look at it. And this is what Nehemiah is confronted with. This is a problem. And what I want you to see today is we're going to look at five ways that Nehemiah deals with this problem that is presented to him. Because I don't know about you, but there are some easy responses that come naturally to me when I'm faced with a challenge or problem. First of all is avoidance, right? We can be really good at this. Imagine, you know, Hananiah comes in, Nehemiah, this is bad, the gates are burned down, and I could just, I can just picture myself in Nehemiah's shoes being like, yeah, that's too bad. Would you guys like some tea? Hey, you know what, Susa is beautiful this time of year. Why don't we go take a tour together? What is that? I'm just gonna avoid it, right? Like, yes, that's too bad, but let's just press on. Let's think about what's good, what's present. We don't really need to talk about that. And some of our families, guys, we are masterful at avoidance, like masterful. Like, you just don't talk about that around here, right? Like, it's under the carpet, right? Just avoid it. Just don't deal with it. Let's not talk about that issue in our culture. Let's just, let's not even discuss the fact that there's this massive amount of idolatry or pornography or domestic abuse. We just don't talk about it, right? We just, boop, it's not there. That's one way we can deal with conflict or problems. Another way is that we can, again, Hananiah comes in, Nehemiah responds, oh, that is really too bad. You know what? Someone should do something about that. Someone really should. Like, what are they thinking? Those refugees who are back there, they should do something. What is that? Disassociation, right? That is someone else's problem. That is not mine. I'm going to disassociate myself from them. All right, let's go on our tour of Susa together, right? We disassociate from the problem or conflict that's presented to us. Another easy one that we can do is say, oh, again, Hananiah walks in, the walls are torn down, Nehemiah responds, that's really bad. We should tell everyone about how bad this is. Let's go talk, you know what? Ezekiel would love to know how bad this is. And let's even in the Christian way, sometimes we can do it, let's tell them about this prayer request that we never pray about, right? But let's just tell everyone about it. We're just gonna talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, and that, all we do is talk about it, right? These are ways that we naturally in our flesh, we can wanna deal with problems and conflict. But what is amazing to me is how Nehemiah does none of them. And it's such an example, and I'll be honest, it was such a challenge to me this week, even I was studying this. Let's look at the first way that he deals with it. Nehemiah 1, verse 4. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. The first way, or number one, that you can write down today that I believe the Lord would call us to change our habits, to change our world when it comes to handling problems is number one, we face the problem. Number one, we face the problem. Nehemiah didn't avoid it. He didn't disassociate from it. He didn't gossip about it. No, it says that he literally stopped in that moment. He sat down, he wept, and he began to do some critical things. He began to mourn, to fast, and to pray. 
before the Lord. He acknowledged the weight and the plight of what was happening and its implications for his people. Not only that, he brought it before God. It's not that he just stayed in this place of depression. No, but he took the weight of the pain and he brought it into the presence of God and he faced his problem. This is not right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. There's mourning that happens on the inside of us when there's a disconnect between the natural and what we know God's heart is. And Nehemiah, he mourns the loss of reputation for the people of Israel. He mourns the loss of what could be, but he prays and he begins to bring it before God. Number one, we face the problem. I want you to right now, I'm actually gonna have us, as I walk through these five points, I'm gonna ask you to walk through this with me as well, thinking about a problem in your own life. So I want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I just want you to think about one issue, problem or challenge that has been on your mind in this last week. Something that has been rolling around on the inside of you. You've been thinking about, you haven't had clarity, and you can tell it's bringing attention to you internally. Just one, okay? Just one. All right, go ahead and open up your eyes. We're gonna, I want you, we're gonna have you continue to bring that back up, so just keep that one thing in mind. So first of all, he faces the problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. We're not gonna put it to the side. I'm not gonna distance. This is a problem, and this is partly my problem because this is my people. And then he continues, verse five. He says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. The second thing that we see Nehemiah do here as he begins to pray is that he, this is our second point, he keeps God bigger through praise. He keeps God bigger through praise. This is how he opens his prayer. Here he is in this place of mourning and weeping and feeling the pain and disappointment of what's happening with his people. And what does he do? He praises God. He comes before the Lord like we know we're supposed to, with praise and thanksgiving. That's how we enter into his courts. And he comes in and he acknowledges that God is bigger than this problem that I'm facing right now. He keeps God bigger through praise. See, what worry does is worry makes the problem bigger than God in your heart and in your mind. But what was praise do? Praise does the opposite, right? Praise begins to glorify, which actually magnify means to make big. When we come into God's presence, when we're facing a big issue and we decide, even though it doesn't feel natural, but we decide, I'm gonna give God glory, I'm gonna praise him for who he is, something begins to shift on the inside of us. Because I remember, oh no, he is the one who made heaven and earth. He is the one who sent his son on behalf of me for my salvation. Like he is the one who knows the end from the beginning, who owns everything on this planet. And what happens to my problem? It begins to get very small, right? In light of the magnitude of who my God is. Do you know the only one who can praise for you is you. And we have this choice when we face an issue, when a challenge rises up, when we hear bad news. Do we begin to begin to foster a habit in our life where we praise God in the midst of the storm, even like we were singing this morning? See, if we make a choice to keep God bigger through praise, if we make that our habit, let me tell you, that can change some significant things in our world. You know, when Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 
They were arrested in Philippi. And not only were they arrested, but it says that they were severely beaten, right? They were severely beaten. After they were severely beaten, then they were imprisoned. And it says that at midnight in prison, they began to do something. And I just stopped and thought about if I had been severely beaten for preaching the gospel, right? And I was then imprisoned and it's midnight, what would I be doing? I would probably be moaning and groaning and complaining a little bit and a little bit of self-pity like, God, come on, here I am preaching your gospel. I just got beaten. But what do you find them doing? They're praising God. You find them praying, you sing them singing psalms. Why? Because they understood the power of magnifying God over their circumstance. And it's such a powerful story because we know that as they begin to sing home, excuse me, sing psalms in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their captivity, what happens? The power of God like shakes the prison and opens up all of those gates. Such an amazing picture for our life. I remember last year, Kevin and I were going through a season of a lot of financial pressure. I mean, a lot of financial pressure, some huge things that we were believing God for. That was a very present reality almost every day. You know what I'm talking about with things in your life that sometimes it's like you wake up and it's there, right? You go have lunch and it's there. You go to bed at night and it's there. And that's kind of what we were walking through. And I remember we were living with my parents and I was driving around one day and I just started, I felt like the Lord gave me a song to start singing. I just started singing on a regular basis. You provide, you provide, you provide every need, every need, every need. And I would just sing that and I made it a habit because internally I didn't feel like singing. I felt the pressure, but I made it a choice that if I'm gonna sing and magnify God over this pressure, and it was amazing that every time I sang and began to praise God, that pressure would break. It would break because I put my eyes on the one who owns everything and has promised to provide. And we saw God do miraculous things over the course of last year, but it was a fight that I had to keep in to keep my habit being praise. So we see the other thing that he did is not only did he face his problem, but he kept God bigger through his praise. In verse six, it continues and he says, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. The third thing that I want you to see that Nehemiah did here is he took ownership. Not only did he face this problem, and secondly, not only did he keep God bigger through his praise, but thirdly, he took ownership. We see him come before the Lord and we see him begin to confess the sins of his people. See, when, when the children of Israel were taken out of Jerusalem, they were taken away from the temple, which was the center of their religious life and worship before God. They didn't have that anymore. They began to develop worship around synagogues that was cornerstoned on the teaching of the Torah. So Nehemiah would have known the Torah. He would have known Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He would have known why they were in captivity. It was so clear. But he also knew that was, part, that was their responsibility. The reason that they were in Babylon didn't happen because God changed his mind or wasn't faithful. No, it happened because the people turned their heart away. And so Nehemiah, even though we don't see anything in his life that would give cause for him saying, I sinned, he associates and takes ownership for this is my people, God. And so on behalf of my people, I'm gonna confess to you that we have not been walking rightly before you. 
And we see the same thing in Daniel. These men of God who said, I'm not going to disassociate myself from the pain of my people around me, my family, my community, my nation. But I'm going to cry out to God and I'm going to humble myself on behalf of these people. And I'm going to confess our sin. I'm going to take ownership for whatever I can take ownership in. You know, sometimes we face problems in our interpersonal relationships, and those can be sometimes the most painful, whether it's an issue with our spouse or a child or another family member. And I don't know about you, but when we have issues, I can so easily just focus on what they did. Come on, did you see what they did, how they treated me, how they responded? But we all know that you don't get anywhere if you keep the focus on what they did. What's important is that even if they were 75% wrong, What's going to bring about healing and restoration? Me taking ownership of my 25, right? That whatever I can confess, whatever I can make right before God and before others, that I take ownership and I do that. And when I begin to initiate by doing that, it's amazing how then God will begin to work to turn the hearts of other people around us. Sometimes there are cold wars in families for years until one person takes that courageous step to say, I'm going to humble myself And even though they hurt me so much, because I trust in God, I will go to them. And for whatever part I can take ownership for, maybe it's just the fact that my bitterness and unforgiveness for what they did, I'm going to take ownership for that. And I'm going to allow God to start bringing healing and restoration in the midst of that. You know, what's so important for us to understand is that when we want to see change in our life at all, and when we want to see a problem fixed, we can never intercede on behalf of others or a situation from a posture of superiority. We can't. When we're looking down in condescension, when we have bitterness and hardness of heart, it's usually because there's pride in us that won't bring ourselves down. But what does the word say? It says, God resists. Oh, I hate that, right? God resists the proud. It's literally like in the spirit, there's this hand against you. You try to pray. You're not getting anywhere. Why? Because there's pride in your heart. Because there's a lack of willingness to humble yourself. And Nehemiah demonstrates the exact opposite. He comes before the Lord in utter humility and says, God, forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive my family, right? Covering all the bases. Just forgive us. He doesn't care about his own personal pride. He wants to see restoration, right? He wants the former glory of Israel replaced. I want us just to take a moment here. And I want us to do this. Just, again, I'm asking you to close your eyes and Just in your own life, as you have that problem that came to your mind earlier, I'm going to pray over you right now. And I just want you to open up your heart and ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything in your own attitude, demeanor, or words, or even if it's for your culture, that you could take ownership and ask for forgiveness for. And then again, just under your breath, no one needs to hear it. I want you to do that this morning because there's no better time than now to begin to the process of getting things right before the Lord. So, Father, we bring ourselves before you. And, Lord, we thank you for what a good and merciful God that you are. And, Lord, right now, in the areas of our life, God, that we see issues and problems arising, or even in our culture and our nation, Lord, we come to you and we confess the areas where our heart has been hard. Lord, we confess to you where our heart has been full of pride, Lord, or where we've missed it, where we've turned away from you, God, where we've become just bitter or just disillusioned. Lord, we confess those things right now. And Lord, we thank you that you promise that if we will confess our sin before you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us. God, we receive that cleansing this morning. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah continues in verse 8, and he says, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you were, are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. Verse 9. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. Okay, remember, Nehemiah, he's here, he's praying, he's glorified God, right? He's faced the problem, he's made God bigger through praise, he has taken ownership by confessing the sin. Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying, God, now I want you to remember what you said to Moses. He's calling on God's word. He's saying, I know the promises that you made back in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, but you didn't just say you would exile us, you said you would bring us back. What is he doing? He's declaring God's promises. He's declaring God's word over this issue. And see, we have the opportunity to do the exact same things. If we can change our habits, if we can begin to, when a problem comes our way, begin to glorify God, confess what we can, but then the next step is to say, wait, okay, this is the issue, this is the problem, but what is God's design? What is God's heart? What is God's intention? Because that's what I want to start getting out of my mouth because my mouth is a rudder in my life. My mouth I can use to bring life instead of death. So even though death is right here, evil is right here, what am I going to start speaking that lines up with God's word? Because I get to be part of him bringing heaven to earth. But what does heaven want? What does heaven want in my marriage, right? What does heaven want in my body? What does heaven want in my finances? See, when we become those who are diligent studiers of the word of God, that we meditate on it day and night, like Kevin was talking about two weeks ago out of Joshua, then when situations happen, things arise, we'll know immediately what to begin to say. Yes, I see that, but do you know what God says? God says that I'm the head and not the tail. I know I just lost my job yesterday, but God says that he is the one who promotes. He'll lift one up and set another one down. He said that his favor surrounds me like a shield. That is what God says, so that is what's gonna happen in my life. See, Nehemiah begins to declare the will of God from the word of God. And when we face problems, I know I talked about this a couple weeks ago, we always have this ability either to be a thermometer or a thermostat, right? Either just to speak about how bad it is, how dark it is, how dreary it is. And we're using the authority that God's given us just to reaffirm what the enemy is doing. Or we have the option to do what Jesus did. And that is that he would speak the will of God, be cleansed, be healed, be restored, be forgiven, right? We have the ability to use the authority in our mouth that God gave us to speak his word and declare that is what's gonna come to pass in this challenge. Mountain, you're getting moved. Why? Because I'm a child of the king. And he says that those things I asked for while praying, believing if I receive them, they're gonna happen. Man, if we caught a revelation of the authority that we have when we declare the word of God, it would be like nonstop in our life all the time. And I encourage you, if you don't have, if you've never studied the word concerning some of the areas that you're struggling with right now, go after it. We've got so many amazing resources right now. You can Google scriptures on healing and guess what you're gonna get? Scriptures on healing. 
Really, truly, I know Kevin and I, we've got some different books on declaration, on any topic that we know that we need to press into. We've got the ability just to go, what, are the, what does God say about this? Because that's what we want to start speaking about this. Amen? You guys are really quiet with that. I hope it was in a good way, not just because of the heat. All right, I want you to do this. You don't have to close your eyes, but whatever you're taking notes on today. So you have this problem that's in your mind, this thing that has been weighing on you during the week, and we already took time to confess any part of what we can confess before the Lord about it. But now I want you to just stop, and I want you to think and allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind, what is a promise of God that you can begin to declare this week for that situation? What's a promise of God? Maybe it's something that I've said. Maybe it's something that you've read in your daily devotions. What's the promise of God that you can begin to declare over that situation? And as you get it, I just want you to write that down. And if nothing comes to you, then you've got some homework. You're like, can the pastor give me homework? Kind of. You can take it if you want to. The homework is just go look it up. Go spend some time digging in the word. Go take some time looking at scripture and saying, God, what is your will? What is your design about this? Nehemiah continues, and I want to read Nehemiah 1.10 and also the first six verses of chapter 2. Nehemiah 1.10 says this, The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's armor bearer, or excuse me, the king's cup bearer. And then Nehemiah chapter two says this in one through six. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, if you are pleased with me, your servant, Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone and when you will, will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. We change our habits and we can change our world as we face problems and challenges. Number one, we face our problems. Number two, we keep God bigger through praise. Number three, we take ownership. Number four, we declare his promises. We declare his word. Number five is this that you can write down. We act courageously. We act courageously. What is amazing to me is how Nehemiah leverages the position he was in for the kingdom, or in the sense for Israel. Nehemiah was the cup bearer to the king. Okay, listen to me. This was a highly influential and powerful position. It might not seem like it because he's like, he just held a cup. But who did he hold a cup for? The king. This was not something that just happened overnight. This is something that Nehemiah would have had to work his entire life for. He must have worked hard. He was probably a very ambitious man to get to this place. He had a lot of money. 
And we see it as we go through the book of Nehemiah. The guy was loaded because he held such a high position. He was well-paid. He was well-respected. He was incredibly influential. And he could have shielded himself from the problems of Israel with all of that. And what would he have done? Lived a very comfortable life in Babylon. Super comfortable. Now, I don't, you know, the whole disassociation, I don't need to go to Judea. I don't need to go to Jerusalem. I got Babylon. I got it going on here. Like, I am respected. I got money, right? He, he didn't need to do anything. But instead, Nehemiah takes everything, his money, his position, his influence, and he puts it on the line. Man, this just hit me this week. Like, I want to be like that guy. Like, he was bad. Like, this is amazing that he said, no, I'm going to step up. Here he is. He felt the full weight of what was going on for his people. He cried out to God. I mean, this is a couple months afterwards, so it's not that this happened overnight. He's processing the pain of his people. He's crying out. He's mourning. He's fasting. But he knew at the end of the day, he still had to take action. Some things were going to have to happen. And so when he had the opportunity, and I love this, okay, I find myself in this, and I hope you do too. Because when the king looks at him and he says, why are you so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. It's like the, the moment opened. Nehemiah knew, this is a crossroads in my life. I can either answer him and say, you know, I just feel a little under the weather, or just, you know, me and my wife just had a fight. You know, he could say something like that, and the king would have just moved on. But instead, he made a choice. But look at how he made that choice. After the king asked him that question, it says, then I was terrified. Does anyone else find yourself in that? That these moments come and you know that God is calling you to step out of the boat and onto the water and everything inside of you is like, stay in the boat. So much comfortable in the boat. There's padded seats in the boat. There's Wi-Fi in the boat. Like, do not get out of the boat. Like, the boat is amazing. Why would you leave the boat? And yet the spirit of God on the inside of you is like, step out. Step out. And he does it afraid. See, when we make these, when we act courageously, it doesn't mean that internally we're not freaking out sometimes. Can I tell you some of the biggest things I've done for the kingdom? I remember the first time I preached, I was 23, right? I had just started getting discipled, and our senior pastor was like, you have a grace on you to teach, and I had taught all of like five times in youth ministry, and he's like, I want you to teach in our adult discipleship class of about 120 people, and I'm going to sit in the front row. I was so scared. I felt like I was going to throw up for like three months, Okay. And everything inside of me wanted to be like, I got to tell him why I can't do this. But I knew from the spirit of God inside of me, God's saying, this is your destiny. You better step into it and do it afraid. There's things that God is going to ask you to do in facing challenges and problems in your life. And you in your flesh are going to be like, God, I just want to stop my fingers and you to fix it all. And God's saying, but I'm asking you to get out of the boat. I'm asking you to go across the street. I'm asking you to pick up that phone. I'm asking you to have that conversation with your boss. You have to step up and act courageously when God begins to lead you. And that's what Nehemiah does. He acts courageously. He makes the ask. He puts it all out there for the king. How can I not be sad when my people are in distress? And I love it. God had just, you know, he'd spent all those months in prayer and God had just lined up the king's heart so that when he made that ask, the king's like, what do you want? What do you need? How much? And he gave it to him. Just the favor of God. And we've got to trust that when we step out of the boat, 
the faithfulness of God is going to uphold us. And that's what I found time and time again when I finally just take that darn step out of the boat, when I just say no to my flesh and yes to the spirit, that God's power meets me every single time. It was about two and a half years ago, Kevin and I were pastoring a campus of the rock in the high desert, and uh, the church was going well. We had, we'd been there for about two years. We'd gone through some difficult transitions, but we got to a place where we had a strong leadership team. The church was growing. It was thriving. I was pregnant with our second child. We finally had community. All these things that felt good, you know what I'm talking about? And we went to a conference, and me and Kevin are in this conference, and in two different sessions apart from each other, God speaks to us and says, it's time for you to go overseas. And we were excited because we'd always wanted that, but at the same time, we were a little bit terrified, like Nehemiah, like this is going to change everything. Like all of these points of comfort in my life that I depend on, it's going to sweep the table. And we had a decision to make when we came together and we're both like, yeah, this is what Jesus is saying. We knew and we did it. We're like, we immediately need to tell our pastor because if we don't, our flesh is going to start fighting us just to stay where we've been because it's going well. And it's easy. We've got a set salary. We've got friends. We're not too far from our families. There's just so many things that feel good. But we made the decision, no, we have to follow Jesus. And if this is what the Spirit of God is saying, we've got to do it. So I think it was like within a day or two, we wrote an email to our pastor and says, hey. And it was, it was felt like this moment. Like, we can't go back. Like, once we send this email, there's no turning back. And it's exactly what it was. It led us on a two-year journey of getting ready to move overseas, which of course now we're so thankful. We know we're in the will of God and there's nothing better than that. But there's those times when you know you have to act courageously. And in the midst of challenges and problems that come to us, not only do we have to face it and give glory to God and keep him bigger, not only do we need to take ownership for our part in it and then declare his word, but then there's a point where we have to act courageously as the spirit of the Lord leads us. And I don't know about you and your situation that that be, but I do know that you have a counselor on the inside of you who leads you and guides you into all truth and shows you things to come. And so you will always know what you need to do when you seek his face. He will show you what that courageous step is that you need to do. And it might not make logical sense. It probably didn't make logical sense to Nehemiah's family that he was doing this. They're like, come on, we've got a good life. And Nehemiah's like, no. I've got to do something. I've got to leverage everything that God has given me to see his glory restored in Israel. I want us to do this. I want us to just right now to, again, bring ourselves before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit. He might show you right now. Maybe he'll show you later today. But again, as you're writing things down, you've got not only the problem, not only what you confessed and what you're going to declare, but I want us to ask him, is there a courageous act, God? that you would have me take even today. So again, I'm gonna pray, but you just listen for the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are the one who always leads us into triumph. You always lead us into triumph, but Lord, we have to be those who willingly follow where you lead, willing to take the steps that you show us. And so Lord, I ask that right now, you would, Holy Spirit, our great comforter and counselor, that you would begin to illuminate in our own heart the courageous act, the step that you're asking us to take in the midst of this problem, this situation that we're finding right now. We thank you that we are your sheep and we hear your voice. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. I wanna end just with a story of someone who has inspired me in my life. You know, we have direct mentors in our life, people who we can sit and chat with and watch and learn from. But then often we also have indirect mentors, people that we see, we can watch teachings of, read their books, but they really do mentor us even though we don't know them. And uh, Christine Kane has been one of those in my life. If you don't know who Christine Kane is, she came out of Hillsong, is an evangelist, teacher, um, has the show now, just an amazing woman of God, powerhouse for the kingdom. But one of the things about her life that has so inspired me is her courage and how she dealt with a problem that she saw. See, in 2007, she was traveling with her husband and she landed in Thessalonica, Greece. And while she was in the airport, she began to see all over the airport these pictures of children on these homemade flyers. And it was children that were missing and they were all over the place. Now, Christine had a child about a similar age to some of these posters that she was seeing. So it really just hit her heart and she didn't understand why there were so many pictures of missing children in this area. And so she didn't forget about it. She didn't push it aside. No, she went home and she began to research. She began to research what is going on and she began to uncover an issue that now is a lot more talked about than it was back then and that is human trafficking. She began to discover how many millions of people actually live in slavery today that it's not just something of the past, it's current, that people are in slavery for work, for sex trade, and this broke her. And so she began to call on the Lord, she began to seek God with her husband, and in 2008, they made the courageous step of starting A21. A21 is, it means A is for abolishing slavery, 21, in the 21st century. So they started A21 to first just start raising awareness that the church worldwide would begin to wake up to the fact that human trafficking was taking place. And over the last uh, 10 plus years, they now have 14 offices worldwide fighting human trafficking through recovery care, education, prosecution, refugee care, and more. But what I thought was so amazing, her story so inspired me, is that she had a choice. And that was when she saw those posters, she could have just said, man, that's really sad. Someone should do something about that. Man, I need to tell someone about this. But instead of choosing those options, she faced the problem. She allowed the weight fully of this problem to come on her and she brought it before God and then she began to act courageously and leverage the influence that God had given her as an evangelist and teacher to start to rally the church globally around this issue in our society. When I look at people like Nehemiah, I begin to receive, there is something that God wants us to catch about the fact that just like Jesus came to be an answer here on this earth, that God has placed each and every one of us in our different worlds and contexts to be answers. But that means that we have to begin to change our habits to change our world when we confront those problems. Will you stand with me? As we go into worship this morning, I just wanna allow the Holy Spirit to continue to minister to you. Again, we each have battles that we're facing, but I believe that there may be just even be one of these five points that the Holy Spirit would say, this is for you today. And he would challenge you this week to begin to really practice it because you know a habit isn't a habit until you've made it a habit, right? And what does that mean? You gotta do it when it doesn't even feel comfortable. When the old way feels more familiar, you keep making the decision, I'm gonna do it this way until this becomes my new familiar that I'm gonna be a person who faces problems head on, that I'm gonna be a person who gives God praise through problems, that I'm gonna be a person 
who takes ownership, that I'm gonna be a person who declares God's word and that I'm gonna be a person who acts courageously. And when I die, people are gonna look back on my life and they're gonna say those things about me, that I was a solution bringing God's kingdom to earth through my life. So will you lead us? And let's spend some time just listening to the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. We thank you for leading us forward, leading us forward in victory. And Lord, we thank you that we never go anywhere alone. But Lord, as we move forward, we move forward with the backing of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loves us with an everlasting love and is inviting us into the greatest adventure possible. Pray this in Jesus' name.